You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. The title of my message tonight is called Bees and Bulls. Bees and Bulls. It's not going to make any sense until I explain it. So Genesis 3.17, Bees and Bulls. Genesis 3.17 says, And I have said that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Marmites, Vegemites, Mozzibites, and all the otherites. To a land flowing. Everyone say flowing. To a land flowing with milk and honey. To a land flowing with milk and honey. To have milk, you've got to have cows. To have cows, you've got to put up with bulls. To have honey, honey, you've got to put up with bees. A lot of people think that, you know, that the will of God is automatic. I've written a couple of books. Uh, I wrote this one called Leader Sight. And I just want to encourage you. The only time Jesus ever spoke about leadership is that if the blind lead the blind, will they not both fall into a pit? So somebody has to see. The truth is everybody sees, but not everybody has vision. Leadership is not seeing the apparent. Leadership is seeing through the apparent. There are five times where God says, see, I have given you. He says to Moses in Exodus 7 verse 1, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Because Moses didn't see himself as God to Pharaoh. Moses saw himself as a failure, as someone who committed murder, as a fugitive. He saw himself as a, for the last 40 years as a, as a shepherd, as a, a sheep herder in, in the back blocks of the deserts of Midian and, and Horeb. And now all of a sudden he's got to go and stand before the most powerful man in the world and command him to let God's people go. This wasn't going to shift until Moses saw differently. Can I just tell you that, that your vision determines your inheritance? Your vision determines your possession. God wants you to see differently. He wants you to see you differently. So I got that one. But the other book that I wrote is a book called Push. Pray Until Something Happens. And the reason I wrote that book is because a lot of people think that God's, if it's God's will, it just automatically happens. You know, like if, if, it's, if God wants it to, you know, if God wants it, he'll just make it happen, won't he? <laughs> well, you know, God will him. You know, if it's God's will, it, you know, because apparently everything that God wills happens. Yeah. Just let me push on a little bit. It was God's will for there to be light. It was God's will for there to be light, but the light didn't come until God spoke. God wanted light. It was God's will and God's intention for there to be light. But light did not come until God spoke and said, let there be light, then light came. The light did not come because it was God's will. It had to be activated by His Word. Amos 3 says, surely the Lord God does nothing except when he reveals his word to his servants, the prophets. We know what the will of God is, but God is looking for men. God is looking for women who will load their mouth with the word of God and shoot the word into the atmosphere. The Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it. Uh, this is the reason why the devil hates the word of God. He doesn't want the word in our schools. He doesn't want the word in our colleges. He, doesn't, he hates the fact that tonight you're sitting under the word of God. Because God watches over his word to perform it. He is looking for his echo in the earth. 
man, man isn't stronger than a lion or a, or a bear or a tiger or a, an elephant. We're not faster than a cheetah, and yet we rule over the animal kingdom. We, 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 put, we have them in zoos, in cages. But yet they're stronger, they're swifter. What gives man an edge is not, not, his, not his anatomical advantage, but the fact that he is made in the image and the likeness of God, and God reveals himself as a speaking God. He reveals himself as a speaking God. When Jesus defeated the devil three times in the wilderness, Jesus didn't use any kind of mystical or magical powers to defeat him. All Jesus had to say was, it is written. It is written. Jesus was modeling to us that you and I can defeat the devil simply simply by being an echo of God. That you are more powerful than all the powers in hell as an echo. Jesus didn't have to conjure up anything new. All he had to say was, hey, devil, it is written. Hey, devil, it is written. Hey, devil, it is written. When you fill your mouth with this. Let me just dig down a little deeper. The Word of God in your mouth is as powerful as the Word of God in God's mouth because the Word has power. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word... in See, you're the smartest people in Auckland tonight because you made a decision, 6 p.m., I'm going to be in the house of God. And when I come to the house of God, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to catch something. Tonight I'm getting a Word that I'm going to put in my mouth and begin to speak. I, I, need to, I need you to understand because there's this bad teaching, there's this bad philosophy that if it's God's will, it'll just automatically happen. I found that God's will is not automatic. It has to be activated. It has to be activated. And the way that it's activated is God watches over His Word to perform it. So you and I need to load up on the Word of God and begin to speak the Word of God. Can someone say amen? I, I found that, I found that, even, even then, as I begin to speak the Word of God, there's a resistance. There's spiritual warfare. It wasn't just giants in the promised land. It was bees and bulls. Denzel Washington in my favorite Christian movie, The Equalizer, <laughs> said, if you pray for rain, you've got to put up with the mud. See, I've never heard this testimony. I've never heard of a multimillionaire saying, I was just floating in a river and gold bars just floated by. Oh, I like a few of those. You'll find that any, any progress has some resistance. Any progress has some, some warfare attached to it. So here God says, I'm going to bring you into a land. It flows with milk and honey, but I want you to notice it says that it's occupied currently by Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. In other words, I'm taking you into my promise, but my promise is going to have some, some resistance. It's going to have some people reluctant to give stuff up. I've ordained this for you. So let me give you four, four battles that every single one of us face. The first one is what I call the battle of coming out. The battle of coming out. The children of Israel were slaves for 400 years. 400 years is 10 generations. 10 generations. 10 in the scripture is test. It's also a complete sentence. The 10 commandments, 10 foolish virgins, 10 lepers, test. And so, so there's 10 generations, 400 years. For 400 years, all they'd ever known is slavery. Papa was a slave. Granddaddy was a slave. Great-granddaddy, all they had known for 10 generations was slavery. 
to come out of slavery, to come out of poverty, come out of struggle, to come out of lack, to come out of victim, to come out of defeatism, to, to bring them out was, was the battle because this is all they'd known. And then the person who was leading them out was an imperfect leader. Moses had committed murder. So you're going to find that, that the, the people that lead you aren't perfect themselves. Now, Pastor Campbell is the closest thing to perfection. <laughs> at six foot six and ruggedly good looking. Married way out of his league with Carl. Oh, look, I don't condone spiking drinks, but you know, it worked for... That didn't happen. Every leader that you will find that God will bring into your life has imperfection. I believe it's for a reason because I believe that we mature by forgiving. The Bible says it's the glory to overlook a transgression. See, if you served a perfect leader, you didn't, you, how are you going to get spiritually fit? When they nailed Jesus to a cross, Romans are gambling for his clothes. His father forgive them. They weren't asking, nor were they deserving. Jesus didn't care what they were asking, didn't care if they were deserving. He wasn't going to die with bitterness or unforgiveness in his heart. So it's like, Father, forgive them. In fact, the level of spiritual maturity in your life is directly co correlated to your ability to forgive. Someone may quote scripture and have the biggest, you know, chunkiest study Bible in the world. And, you know, every time you talk to them, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored. They may have all of that language, but if they can't forgive... God forgave us our transgressions. He is the perfect picture of maturity. So you will find that God will use the imperfections of man to perfect you. Sandpaper is unbelievably rough, but it's used to smooth things. You would think you'd use something smooth. No, no, no. God uses rough things to make things smooth. But, but deliverance only happens not through the imperfection of a, of a leader, but through the power of God. It's the power of God. I like this church because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that you can be born again. We believe that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with a supernatural power that breaks chains, that removes curses, that, that brings deliverance, that brings freedom. The second battle is what I call the battle of believing. The battle of believing. See, when the, when the children of Israel came to the promised land, Moses sends 12 spies over to have a, to have a look. So the 12 spies go over, and how many people know the story? 10 spies come back with a negative report. Ten spies come back saying, yeah, we can't do it. And, and people are like, what? They're like, truly it is a land flowing with milk and honey. However, giants, the cities were fortified. The people were numerous and it was a land that devours its inhabitants. Oh, hang on, whoa, 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 hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Which, which, which one is it? What? The people are numerous. And it's a land that devours it. Well, it can't be both. Either the people are numerous or it's a land that devours its inhabitants. Which one is it? We're making excuses. Sorry, go ahead. Take the floor. It's a land that devours. The cities were fortified. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Anakim, the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our sight. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. You, you were like what? Grasshoppers in their sight. Did you interview them? Like, how many people know there was no interview? 
It wasn't like they went, you know, excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Giant, could we, could we ask you a couple of, oh, you are large. And that's a lot of nostril here, isn't it? Um, do, do you, we're, we're spy, we're sp- excuse me, we're tourists. That's what we are, we're tourists, not spying at all, are we? Um, do you mind if we ask you, when you look at us, what picture comes to mind? Filthy little rodents. Okay, that's not quite what we're looking for. What about like, if you move from the animal kingdom to like something in the insect world? Dirty little cockroaches. All right, that's closer, closer. What about something that flies? Grasshoppers, that's the one. Ding, 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 ding. Survey says grass. You know, how many people there was no, there was no interview? They didn't interview. They saw themselves as grasshoppers and so assumed that everybody saw them the same way. Because the grasshopper is a locust. And a locust is something that would fly in as a curse from God to eat the harvest. So they're crossing over and they're seeing cities they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, orchards they didn't nurture, and they saw themselves as men, we are trespassing. Somebody else built this. Somebody else establishes we don't deserve it because they still had a victim. They still had a slave mindset. Their battle wasn't a geographical battle. Their battle was a believing battle. They believed that they were grasshoppers. They believed that they were trespassers. The greatest thing about you being in church is that if you keep listening to the Word of God, if you keep hearing the Word of God at one point, something's going to ignite. Something's going to awaken on the inside where you begin to understand that your past doesn't have to determine your tomorrow, that your yesterday doesn't have to determine your future, that your God blesses you and your God loves you, not based on your performance, not based on your past, not based on your background, but based on His plans. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, good thoughts, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, most of us know that, that scripture. How many people know Jeremiah 29, 11? But it's amazing because I think we quote it without understanding it. Notice it doesn't say, I know the thoughts that I think about you, says the Lord. The Bible says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. He doesn't say, he doesn't say I, I know the thoughts that I think about you. Like God in heaven is like, <laughs> yikes. He's not thinking thoughts about you. He's actually thinking thoughts towards you. Why is he thinking thoughts towards me? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The great God of the universe is broadcasting towards you. He's broadcasting his thoughts towards you. The problem is we hear these thoughts. I am for you. I am I, I'm filling you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I've got a great destiny for you. I've got a calling upon your life. I want to use you in a mighty way. And we hear, we hear those thoughts come and we reject them. Oh, that can't be true. Now, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my past. Now, I'm so disqualified. I flunked out of school. Man, I'm, I've got ADT. Man, I've got a bit of illiteracy. Man, I'm just graphic. Man, I've got, and when we begin to disqualify, but God just keeps, He's relentless. He just keeps thinking thoughts towards you because He knows the power of one thought in your mind. Just one thought. He's thinking thoughts towards you to give you a future and a hope. The battle is always believing. Joshua and Caleb says, what are you talking about? Their protection has departed. Let us go up at once 
If the Lord delights in us, hello, he opened up a Red Sea. I think that sounds like delights in us. And when the Egyptian army came behind, he drowned the entire Egyptian army. Egypt was the most powerful nation. Pharaoh took his entire army to get his slave labor force back. And because he dared stretch out his hand to strike the Lord's anointed when the last Israelite came up and stepped out on the other side, God said to Moses, now stretch out the staff and bring the walls of water on the entire. Egypt went from the most powerful nation to the most vulnerable nation because they lost their entire military. If you study your history, Egypt after that never recovered. Never recovered after that. That's how powerful God is. And Joshua and Caleb were like, what are you talking about? Let us go up at once. Now, who was right? The ten or the two? Trick question. All twelve. All twelve were right. The ten who said it can't be done were 100% correct. They died on this side of the Jordan. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They did not cross the promised land. They didn't take the cities. They didn't. But the two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, what are you talking about? Of course we can do it. God delights in us. Let's go up. They were 100% correct as well. They crossed the Jordan River. They took down Jericho. They took down Ai. They took down city after city, conquest after conquest. So that tells me whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, ultimately you're going to be right. But you're the smartest people because you're sitting here hearing the Word of God. But you'll always find there's a battle of believing. Jesus says to Martha, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? We live in a world where the education system is a spirit of humanism and it's upside down. It tells you that seeing is believing. Jesus said to Martha, did I not say if you would believe, then you would see. The world says, don't believe until you see. Jesus says, unless you change what you believe, you're never going to see. She's like, Lord, if only you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. But even now I know he'll give you whatever you want. Mary comes. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. The Pharisees, when they see him crying, said, man, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept him from dying? See, we voted on planet Earth. We, 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 we created a committee and we voted. We kind of didn't invite God. We just thought we'd just do a little powwow without him, a little porphyry without him. <laughs> and then we said to God, God, we as the citizens of planet Earth have decided that from henceforth thou shalt be known as the preventionist. That thou job is to prevent bad things from happening to good people. Our job is to prevent, every atheist I've talked to, I don't believe in God, I'm an atheist. And then you ask him a question, I hate God because these bad things are happening to good people. So I thought you said you didn't believe in him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in leprechauns, but I don't go around hating on them. But you talk to any of them, you know, well, then if God's so good, why do bad things happen in the world? Why is there famine and floods and people born with disability? And, you know, they go on and on. You know. But literally, literally what they're saying is that their understanding, if God is good, he should be a preventionist. Martha said, if you would have been here, prevented. Mary said, if you would have been here, my brother, prevented. The Pharisees, if you would have been here, could not this man who opened the eyes have prevented. 
Nowhere does God say, oh, and I'll be your preventionist. Jesus turns to Martha and said, did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see. I am the resurrection and the life. Where I go, resurrection, but I'm not a preventionist, I'm a resurrectionist, baby. So the battle is believing. The battle is believing. When, when, when we lived here, I, we got a prophetic word. We, we were so poor. We were earning like 18000 a year. So poor. My wife was pregnant with our first baby. And we had this prophetic word that God was going to supply us with a home. And so we were driving through Otara, Papatoi, Otahuhu, and uh, looking for homes. And, uh, and I'm looking for ones with, you know, broken windows and graffiti and burnt out cars, you know, hoping I can get a bargain. And all of a sudden, my pregnant wife goes, I don't want to live here. I said, well, where do you want to live? She goes, I want to live in Waddle Downs. I'm like, Waddle We can't afford Waddle Downs! She goes, we can't afford this. Anyway, I thought you said God was going to supply. Oh, I hate when she's right. I knew I married Miss Wright. I just didn't realise her first name was always. It's a true story. We start driving driving through Waddle Downs and we're laying hands on, you know, letterboxes and prophesying and then people would come out with run and scamper and <laughs> then one day my wife's shopping and meets a lady from our church and, and the lady says, oh, you know, you, where are you living? She says, well, actually, we're looking to buy a home. She goes, well, oh, wow, my daughter's selling a home. And says, oh, where? In Waddle Downs. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, so I put on my best, well, I, I I'd go into the church and the associate pastor of our church, who's meant to, meant to help me, calls me into his office. said, oh, come in, yeah, sit down. He goes, I hear that you're believing God for a house. I said, yes, sir, believing God, you know, stand with me in faith. And he goes, he goes you don't earn enough. <laughs> uh, you could change that. My next point, I may not get to it, is you've you got to be careful. There's a lot of people that aren't happy when you get blessed. See, he does this. He, 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 he was the business manager as well of, of our church. So he speed dials, calls, you know, a, calls all the banks, you know, BNZ, ASB, National Bank. ANZ, he calls all the banks and says, would you give this guy, he's our youth pastor, he owns $18,000 a year, would you give him a mortgage? No, okay. And just goes through. And the only bank that said they'd give us a mortgage was the ASB, the Auckland Savings Bank. They said, we give him a mortgage up to 40000 They said, oh, I want a house, not a car. <laughs> so he finishes, he finishes, true story, he finishes, and he says, get the stupid idea out of your head that the house that you're renting, that's God's provision. And I said, well, you can keep, anyway, I didn't tell, I won't. <laughs> so I walked out. I knew what God said. But it looked impossible. So true story, the, the house was back then was worth about one ninety five, and uh, and every time I went to lay hands on the mailbox on the the letterbox, every time I would lay hands on it, the scripture would come: the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And I was feeling a little bit bad because you know it was it was one of the sweet old ladies in our church. It was her daughter and son in law's house, and so I'm like, God, give me a different scripture. And so, you know, I put my hand on there and it would come again. The wealth of the sin. I'm like, God, will you stop it? You've got to behave, you know. And I'm, oh, you know. And, and I know, but that was the script. The scripture just kept coming. 
I had no idea that, that the son-in-law and the daughter had moved to England with a job transfer. And he was starting to travel all throughout England in sales. And he, so he started taking his secretary with him. I see you're smart. You already know where this is going. <laughs> he has no idea that thousands of miles away in New Zealand, there's a little youth pastor with no deposit for a house, just a word from God, laying hands on his mailbox, prophesying that the wealth of the sinner. See, he's having these little moments in hotels, thinking nobody knows what's going on. And there's a youth pastor laying hands on his letterbox, saying the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. God, will you give me a different scripture? This is a bad scripture. And God's like, trust me. I believe that God speaks with a, almost like a Hispanic accent. <laughs> Moses, Moses. Take the sandals off your feet. For the place where you are standing is a, it's holy ground. Now, he may not be Hispanic, but I tell you what, I definitely know he's not Australian. <laughs> Moses, Moses, take... I mean, there's no way, there's no way... There is no way God is an Australian. So anyway, I got to get back to the story. So in the story, right, in the story. So then, so then when the wife finds out, you know, he must have come home with lipstick on the collar or something. When she finds out, that's it, she's done, she's done. She wants a divorce, everything. So he's got to fly back and sell the house. So he flies back, and, but he's talked to his mother-in-law. His mother said, oh, the youth pastor and his wife, they're going to buy the house. See, so things, it's a done deal. So he comes out, and for the first three days, he's here for a week to sell the house. First three days, he's just goofing off, hanging with his friends. And then I meet him at the house on the fourth day. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, 195. Like, oh. And he's like, well, that's the value. And he goes, well, I said, oh. and I just thought I've got to make up a number because I didn't, I didn't have a deposit. And no bank was, was telling me that I could have any money. So I just kind of shot out a random number. What about 108? <laughs> and then, you know, I knew he wasn't a Christian by the words that he just. <laughs> and things that he said about my mother that I know aren't true. Got in his car, got in his car, and sped off. And I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. Anyway, he called a couple of real estate agents and they wanted, you know, money up front for to advertising and marketing and then to put it on the market and everything else. And and so he calls back and says, All right, you can have the house for 108000 It was worth 195 So I went into the ANZ Bank, put my best suit on, ANZ Bank. And, and when they looked at the, the valuation of the house, they said, I think we can give you a mortgage. The only thing that we need is for you to qualify for mortgage insurance because you don't have a deposit. You need a deposit. So they said, and, and the manager kind of took a liking to me. And he says, don't even worry about it. There's three mortgage insurance companies, and I'm sure one of them will insure you. So I'm like, oh, fantastic. So then the family find out and they said, well, why don't you just move in? You got a little baby, move in. So we move in and our first son was born and Leanne's ripping up the carpet and tearing off the wallpaper and, and uh, just trashing the joint. You can't take her in. Anyway, no, no, she was, you know, re renovating. And, uh, and so, so we're already in there for, for, you know, a few days. And, uh, and then the, the bank manager calls and says, oh, listen, man, the first one, no, you don't earn enough. Uh, you should earn any more. And I said, oh, he goes, okay, well, let me do the second, second, second one. 
calls back the next day, says, oh, man, it's not, it's not good. He says, look, there's one more, but don't, don't worry. I'm pretty sure I can get these guys across the line. So the next day. So I go to bed that night, and I can't sleep. And about 4 o'clock in the morning, I wake up, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me as clear as I'm talking to you. And he says, they're going to reject you. And I'm like, my wife's already tore up the carpet. I've got a brand new baby. I've got nowhere else to go. I can't go on the street, God. And I said, Holy Spirit, I don't want to hear this. You just got to fix it. You just got to fix it. And he's like, they're going to reject you. But watch what I'm about to do. And I said, no, 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 God. I've got no, I got, I got no more faith. I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. That's how it was. That was a song, right? And so... So it's about four o'clock in the morning and, and the house was in, in Waddle Downs right on the Monaco Harbour. And so I walked down and, and, and you know, it's winter and, and the wind's blowing really strong and, and it's really stormy and I'm just standing there, I'm just crying out to God saying, God, I've got nothing left. And I look out and true story, I see a fishing boat. I see it on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the waves like this, on the Monaco Harbour. And then as, as clear as I'm looking at you, I see a man walking on the water towards the fishing boat. And he, and he gets about... He gets about from, from me to that guitar away from the fishing boat and he stops and he goes like this. And then I look over at the fishing boat and a guy gets out of the fishing boat and begins to walk on the water, on the waves towards Jesus. And he gets to about here and then he begins to sink. And he goes like this and then I see, I realize it's a vision and I see Jesus run and I see Jesus grab him. And instead of him pulling Jesus down, Jesus pulls him up. Now, I know the story. I read the story in the Bible. I knew that Peter walking on the water began to doubt when he saw the wind and the waves. Because how many people know it's so much easier to walk on water when there's no wind? Yeah. <laughs> like when there's no wind, you can get like seven or eight steps, can't you? Before you, oh man. God. It's so much harder when it's windy, isn't it? Come on, how many people know it's got nothing to do with the wind and the waves? But Peter beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabbed him. And I never saw this in the scripture, but I'm seeing it in the vision. Jesus pulls him up and the two of them walk together to the boat and they get in the boat and then the word of the Lord hits me in the chest. And God said, Jürgen, even if your faith fails, I'm here to pick you up. Even if your faith fails, I'm here to pick you up the next day. The ANZ bank manager calls and says, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No one will insure you. you. We can't give you a mortgage. And I'm like, oh, God. And he says, watch what I'm about to do. So the right thing to do was to call the owner. So I called them up and, and they said, look, why don't you come around? And the husband was a World War II vet. And he was an atheist because he just couldn't, he couldn't get his head around what he saw in World War II. That, that there could be a God, just the, you know, today that's PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so I went round to his house, and he was quite a gruff man. He says, come on in, son. So I went in, he goes, sit down. So I sat down, he goes, what's going on? And I said, sir, I said, you know, we tried in three places, and no one would give us, no one would give us a mortgage. And he said, how much are you short? What do you need? I said, well, we need, you know, 20,000. Oh, now I wish I said one million. I mean, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
I said, you know, we're, you know we, we need a deposit and we don't have it. And so we're 20,000. If we had 20,000, they'd give us the mortgage. He goes, wait here, son. And he gets up and walks. And I'm so embarrassed, so embarrassed. And the Holy Spirit says to me again, watch what I'm about to do. He comes walking back in and he's got this big old football sock, big rugby sock. And he looks at me and he's got tears in his eyes. He points to Joan, who was maybe 74 in our church. And he says, when mum and I moved here from England, mum was pregnant with our first. And I didn't have anywhere to live. But one of my friends was a builder and he would build homes. And the commission, he would get a commission for building homes. One of the homes that he built, the commission he got, he gave it to us. So we had a deposit to buy the home. Not a Christian. And then tears filled his eyes. His lip began to quiver. And he says, and my whole life, I've been waiting to do this for somebody else. He said, how much did you, did you need? Now, why didn't I say? Anyway, I said... <laughs> 20,000. He pulls back the sock. He's got wads of $100 bills. He just starts counting down 1,000 to, to 20,000. Puts the money in a shoebox. <laughs> and he goes, go get the home, son. The next day I walk into the ANZ bank. Not, not like that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I walk in the ANZ bank and I put the shoebox down. The bank manager looked at me and said, I, 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 believe that, uh, I believe that we need a deposit. He thought I knocked over a bank. He's like, where did you get this? I'm like, don't ask any questions. <laughs> Count it. It's all there. That's an IOU. You mean? No, this, sorry. It's from Dumb and Dumber. The battle was believing. The battle was believing. The battle was believing. God has got a great future for you. But you know what? We are, we, are so, we are so ingrained by our history that we struggle to believe for our destiny. Listen to me. We are so ingrained in our history that are so hard because all we know is the past. All we know is struggle. All we know is cruelty. All we know is unfair. All we know is lack. All we know is abuse. All we know is dysfunction. But can I just tell you, the day that Jesus stepped into your life, the Bible says that he, he, he separated your past. He, he comes in. He separates your yesterday from your tomorrow. He, the day that Jesus comes into your life, he begins to write. He is the author and the finisher. He's the alpha and the omega. Let him have the pen. He wants to write a future. I'm telling you, I'm living in a world that I could never achieve in my strength. And I'm telling you, unless I heard his word now, I'll be honest with you. And I've got to finish because I'm out of time. Whenever God would speak to me, my first reaction is not to believe it because it seemed too good. It seemed too impossible. Now, here's, here's my biggest problem. I live with me. I live with me. God will speak something and I'm like, you got the wrong guy. I'm jacked up. I can't tell you how many times I've let him down. I can't tell you how many times I thought, yep, as in I'm disqualified. And he keeps coming. 
And he keeps coming. And he keeps blessing. Watch this. I've got to finish. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 23. David, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. You know that. And then it goes like this. David said these words. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of God forever. One day, one day God gave me another picture. Because every time he would speak to me, I would dismiss it. I would just wipe it away saying, God, you got the wrong person. This, this promise, this life that you're telling me about, I don't qualify. And God said, Jürgen, look behind you. Look at what, what I've done in your life when I walk. And I look back and I promise you, I look back and I saw all the good things. I saw when I courted my Leanne, when we got married, when she got pregnant with Jordan, when we got the house in Waddle Downs. So I, I began to see all the good things. And then as I looked, I saw, we used to call them modesty cloths. I'm not sure what we call them now. You know when people get slain in the spirit and they put a cloth over them and... They always used to put it over my face. I don't understand. <laughs> Just kidding. No, anyway, so, so anyway, so I look back and I see all the good things. And then I see like, you know, cloths. Like these, these, these cloths. These cloths. And I said to God, I said, well, what, what are the cloths? And he says, oh, that's my mercy. It's my mercy. He said, every time you did something, whether you would disqualify yourself from my goodness... He says, the Holy Spirit would come and cover it with my mercy. And then I'd be able to bless you with something good. And then because of your humanity, you'd blow it again. So your helper, your advocate, the Holy Spirit would come again. David, looking back on his life, all he saw was God's goodness and God's mercy. God's goodness and God's mercy. You may say, well, hang on, pastor. I don't deserve mercy. If you deserve, it's not mercy. If you deserve it, it's not mercy. Mercy is Napoleon Bonaparte had a young man fall asleep stationed at one of the gates. The penalty for falling asleep as a guard was death. The young man was 18 years of age. He had to be made an example and they brought him out to, to be executed. The mother, the mother was there, who was her only son. She comes through the crowd. She grabs Napoleon. She begs with him. She pleads him. The guard hits her in the head to push her away. She's holding onto his legs, holding on, saying, please have mercy on my son, have mercy. And Napoleon looks at her and says, your son does not deserve mercy. She looks up and she says, I know if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. History tells us Napoleon was so moved. He'd never thought that mercy was something that you can't earn. And so he pardoned the boy. Goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. When you have Jesus as your Savior, He covers all your sin. He covers all your wrongdoing. He covers all your blemishes. He covers all your mistakes. Though the righteous fall seven times, seven times they rise again. Why? Because they know their Savior. Paul says, I know him who may have believed. Jesus did not die on a cross so that you could be judged. He died on a cross to be judged in your place and in my place. God took your sin and my sin and put it on Jesus. 
I deserve death as a sinner. But Jesus came. Jesus lived a perfect life. But the reason He hung on a cross was because He was making an exchange. I deserve death, but Jesus says, Father, I will go and I will hang on the cross of exchange. And you let Him go and I will bear His. The reason I'm forever and eternally grateful is because I know that Jesus died on the cross to take away all my sin so that I have His goodness and His mercy. His goodness and His mercy. His goodness and His mercy following me all the days of my life. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, friend, what are you waiting for? Give your life to Jesus. I'm telling you, there is nobody as good as Him. He loves you. He is relentless 24-7, 365. He will chase you. He's thinking thoughts towards you, good thoughts, not even to give you a future and a hope. But I am telling you, the life I'm living today is so far beyond what my past, what my education. I, the only way I can chalk it up is God is good. Ephesians 3.20, He does exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And here's what I know. God is no respecter of persons. If God will do it for me, He'll do it for you. Now listen to me. God is no respecter of persons, but He is a respecter of principles. He's not a respecter of persons, but He is a respecter of His principles. That's why the Bible says, whosoever believes shall be saved. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.